Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 168. G'day, I'm Chad Mansbridge. I'm going to challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence and impact the world by using your time, your talent and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to really understand the truth of your life is key. And one of the ways to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott. Anyone listening today that's got a long-term relationship with someone, you know there's a difference between what someone says and what they mean. We've all had arguments that say, yes, honey, that's not what I meant. I know that's what I've said, but I didn't mean that. We've all had disagreements like that. And the same is true with the scripture. And I'd suggest that most of our work as workmen or work people with the Bible is in that second step. It's really critical. That's where Bible teaching. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Chad Mansbridge. I asked Chad about his book, You Can't Handle the Truth. I also asked Chad about how his faith journey led him to both writing this book and his first book. I also asked Chad what he sees as the key ingredient to really understanding the Bible. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. More than just a lovable Aussie, Chad is best known for his ability to communicate profound and complex biblical truth with clarity, simplicity, and a whole lot of fun, making him one of Australia's most dynamic Bible teachers and sought-after Christian communicators. His latest book, You Can Handle the Truth, Making Sense of the Bible in Three Simple Steps, is a standout in dealing with the weighty issue of biblical interpretation. It has received widespread praise from both Pentecostals and Presbyterians, professors and pastors, teen bloggers and best-selling authors, college presidents, prominent publishers, and even Bible translators who testify to its creative, engaging, and conversational approach to an otherwise daunting subject matter. Chad is energetic yet authentic and has broad appeal for Christian audiences of all stripes who are serious about their relationship with God and growing in their knowledge of the Word. Welcome to the show, Chad. Hey, good day, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. So I talked a little bit in the intro about your latest book, You Can Handle the Truth, and I love the title, by the way. So what what brought you to, to write this book? What was the journey to bringing this book into the world? For those old enough to understand, it wasn't inspired by Jack Nicholson. So let's just clear that up right now, okay? <laughs> but uh, You Can Handle the Truth. Basically, it's a take on a Bible verse. There's a book in the Bible called Timothy. Paul, the apostle, was one of the main characters in the New Testament and he's writing what are really mentoring letters to a younger preacher, a younger pastor. And in both of those letters, he says a very similar thing. He says, listen, the Bible is good. Basically, the scriptures are a good thing, but you need to handle them well. You need to treat them properly. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to handle the scripture. There's a good way. There's a bad way. There's a healthy way. There's an unhealthy way. And as many of our listeners know, there's not. There's also a harmful way. Yeah. You know, truth and the truth of the scripture is one of those things that's good. It's like sex in a way, or it's like fire. Maybe I should put it that way. These are good things that God has given, but they're also powerful things. And the reality is that powerful things need to be handled with care. And so in his second letter to Timothy, he says, listen, I want you to be a good workman or a good work person. It takes on the picture of a tradie, uh, sorry, uh, American listeners, a tradesman okay, <laughs> in Australia. We just abbreviate everything, a tradie. And, and he says, listen, I want you to be a good worker who correctly handles the word of truth, correctly handles the word of truth. And so that's truly where the inspiration of the title, You Can Handle the Truth, comes from. It comes from that uh, Okay, but that- you can't read it without picturing that scene in the movie. <laughs> okay, maybe there's a five percenter in there. Anyone under 30 wouldn't probably wouldn't get that Scott. That's right? true. That's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but, uh, but you can handle the truth. And this comes from, I've been a pastor for 20 years. Uh, I'm only 43, but I've given the best part of my adult life really to preaching and teaching the scripture in the context of local church. And over that time, I've developed what I would call two great preaching passions. I can preach on anything in a sense after 20 years. But uh, my first great preaching passion is Jesus. I love speaking about Jesus. I love speaking about what he's done for humanity and how that can benefit people that that accept him. But my second great preaching passion is basically helping people uh, to navigate the Bible for themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's another book that Paul wrote in the New Testament called Ephesians. It was basically to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. And he says to them, listen, Jesus has given certain people to the church with different giftings. Uh, They include apostles and prophets. Uh, and also evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here I am. I'm a Bible teacher. Okay, what what do I need to know about that, Paul? And he says, and their job is to equip God's people to minister, equip God's people to do the work of the Christian life. And so my job as a Bible teacher is not actually to teach the Bible only. The job of the Bible teacher is to teach others to teach themselves. To equip other people with the tools necessary for them to handle the Bible for themselves. And so, really, that's become the great inspiration of this book, You Can Handle the Truth. And much of my pulpit ministry, whenever I I uh, take to the pulpit, take to the microphone, I'm not only wanting to teach people something that's true, I'm wanting to help them unpack truth for themselves. And so, it's a little bit the age old adage you can give a man a fish. And you'll feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll feed himself for a lifetime. And that's what I want to do. I want to help other people look after themselves. And so helping people help themselves on how to handle the Bible for themselves is uh, one of my great passions. And so that's where you can handle the truth. The inspiration comes from. You mentioned in there the idea of handling it well, because it's powerful. And you alluded to 
some things. What without I, I don't want to get into this and turn it into a political thing or a pointing fingers thing or anything like that, because that doesn't serve any purpose. But what are some of the ways that you see people approach understanding the Bible that perhaps is less than a healthy approach to it? Ooh, oh, my goodness. Where do we start? In many ways, in many ways, uh, I'll tell you what, there's three things I bring up in one chapter about the importance of reading the Bible with honesty and humility and openness, being willing to learn. And the there's three enemies, as it were, three obstacles that we face in our reading that humility can really help with. And the first is preconception. Sometimes we just come to the Bible with preconceived ideas, okay? We can't help that, and that's okay. You actually cannot help that. The way you were brought up, the way the culture you are brought in, the very fact that you were raised in the 20th or 21st century, this shapes who you are, and you bring that levels of understanding that you may not even be conscious of to your Bible reading. And so oftentimes because of that, you may read into Scripture things that just not there, but because of your own preconceived mm-hmm. ideas. And so preconceptions is a very strong thing. Then oftentimes when you read the scripture, we come, or when you read any literature, you're also shaped by your own preferences and your own prejudices. There's things we like and there's things we don't like. And that's okay because that makes us who we are. There's certain things that Scott likes that I don't, and that's fine because that makes us individuals. But it also means when it comes to truth that if we prefer certain things over others, we may have prejudice against the things we don't like. And so in the book, I say, look, for years, there were truths that I was quite comfortable with, God's love, God's kindness, God's grace, what happened to Jesus on the cross, okay, the Christmas story. I'm very comfortable with these things. But when mm-hmm. it comes to biblical teaching about uh, something called eschatology, like end times and whatever, I'm like, I was really uncomfortable with that. And so as a reader, I'd often just read over those bits. I don't really, oh, I'm just going to flick through that. I can skip that, that chapter. Quickly. I'll skip yeah, that chapter. Yeah, yeah it's that. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as a preacher, I completely neglected it because we come with preferences. And the last thing that we come to after we've been confronted with truth is we have pride. So preconceptions, preferences, and then pride. And sometimes we're confronted with things and, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. And it takes a great humility to say, I don't know everything and I might be wrong. Uh, I don't know everything and I might be wrong. And I just think humility, both in the political sphere, as you (laughs) you brought up, don't want to get political, but let's say cultural, culturally, Mm -hmm. Our culture could do a hang of a lot better if we all just embrace a greater dose of humility and openness in our life. To be a good student, if Jesus called himself a good teacher, people called him a good teacher, well, if that's the case, if that's who Jesus is, then we're to be good students. And a good student Mm. says, I'm open to learning. I don't know it all. I might be wrong. I'm all ears. Give it to me. I'll listen and I'll discern what you're saying and I'll, I'll take that on board. So, yeah, I think people mishandle the scriptures for a number of reasons, but often, or sadly, one of the outcomes of mishandling the scriptures is it can not only minimize the power of God's word and the good power that it can have in people's life, it can also cause damage and danger and harm. And Mm -hmm. in the extreme examples of this, we can see cults that form that actually really hurt and harm people. We can see abuse of certain groups of people taking scripture and using it to minimize or abuse females. Slavery in in, in our histories, Mm -hmm. there's been scriptures that have been used to endorse slavery. I believe that was part of your history there in the USA as well. And 
And so, yeah, we can misuse what God has given to bring life and liberty and freedom. And God has given to illuminate people. We can use that very same truth. Mishandling it can hurt people. Exactly. As I said before, like the example of a fire, a fire can be a beautiful thing. It can warm your home. I had a fire on last night. Now, here in Australia at the moment, we're stepping into our, uh, our winter time and in the middle of the year. And so we're lighting the fire in the home. But I tell you what, fires cause incredible damage here in Australia, like they sure. do in California and places there in the US. If fires are mishandled, they can burn you or they can bless you. And the same right. is true with the word of God. Right. Fire is a tool. It could be used to cook your food, to warm your house. Good thing. A fire in your living room and a fireplace beautiful evening fire in your living room and you don't have a fireplace not such a great evening <laughs> wrong are you mm -hmm. saying that it's you just it all depends on how you steward it is that, is that what you're saying it's all about stewardship well yeah. That and, and yeah and again i think with the bible and talking about that we've you don't have to be around very long before you can find somebody using something in the Bible as a, a, a as a hammer as opposed to to put a forward an agenda. And even if they're right, it just that's not that doesn't seem to be able to it doesn't it doesn't convince anyone. And that's just screaming at each other as loud as we can and hoping that I'm louder than you, if that makes sense. So yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes out of exactly what you said, that combination of preconceived ideas and pride especially could cause us to, to decide not only do I already know what's right, I, I'm the one that's supposed to, to push it on everybody else too. That, and we, I think we've all had experiences with that. So I know you've written a, another book before this called He Qualifies You. How do you see the intersection between these two books for readers? So there's a really interesting story about that. That was my first book. It came out in 2010. So that's now a good uh, over a decade old. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, living in Hong Kong. He was just starting up a Christian publishing label. And uh, he'd heard me preach a message on something known in the script in the Bible as covenant. And covenant mm -hmm. is basically a certain form of relationship. It's like a contract. It's an agreement you have with someone. And uh, in the Bible, God enters into covenant relationships with people. He enters into relationships that have certain agreements about them and conditions and and promised blessing that comes uh, uh, mm -hmm. about from that. Okay. So my friend of mine had heard me preach this message and he's like, oh, Chad, I want to put together a book with different authors. I'd love for you to write a chapter for that book from that message. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Anyway, soon after I got pneumonia and in my I'm 30 years of age, I've got pneumonia. There you go. So I'm in bed for two weeks. I'm like, I'm not going to waste this time. I'm going to write that chapter. And my friend read it and he said, mate, this needs to be its own book. And so it's only a little book. He qualifies you. Uh, it's, uh, it's a book you can actually sit down and read in an hour. And uh, so good for men, I often say. <laughs> so good, you, you can read this, just sit down and read it in an hour. But it also, one of the things it does is it's a small book, but it has a big message. It's actually a step back panoramic look at the Bible story from beginning to end through the lenses of different covenants that God has made with people, different relationships. And so the Christians in the audience listening today would understand that there's three, there's a number of covenants in the Bible, but the three major ones, are the ones characterized by the men, Abraham, Moses, and then Jesus. So Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, 
and Moses, the law covenant given to the Hebrew people at Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, that whole thing. And then Jesus in the New Testament, the word New Testament actually means new covenant. covenant. That's what testament means. If you read the King James around Easter time, Jesus takes a glass of red wine and he says, this is the New Testament in my blood. So New Testament actually means a new relationship that Jesus brings. So these three men, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, and the idea is just taking a step back and seeing the story of God's people through the lenses of these different relationships, how God treats people differently. Now, one of the things that's confused or can be confusing about the Bible is, is there two different gods in this book? The <laughs> God of the old and the God of the new. And what happened? Is God moody? Did he have, does he have a mood swings? Does he change his personality? What the heck's going on? He's, he's Mid- midlife crisis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's judgy <laughs> over here. And then all of a sudden he's really kind and loving and all oh, the Lord. And then what's no, God is consistent. God is the same, but he does have different relationships with different people and he is faithful to those agreements. And so he qualifies you basically came out of a pneumonia <laughs> where I wrote that book and uh, and it helps people have a panoramic view of the Bible. Now, how it relates to my current book, my current book, You Can Handle the Truth, is much bigger. It's a substantive book. But one of the aspects of understanding the Bible well is to have a big picture perspective. So Christians mm-hmm. would often say, oh, yeah. Yes, I know that's what the Bible says, but you have to take it in context. Context. One of the contexts is you've got to stand back and have a good idea of the big Bible story. So whenever you're reading something, a character, a teaching, a command, an instruction, a poem, whatever you're reading in the Bible, a prophet, it always helps to understand where that story, where that character, where that teaching fits in the context of the big picture. And many Christians, Scott, as we debate and argue over certain things about the Bible, we fall into that trap of not seeing the forest because of the trees. We get so (laughs) consumed with the intricate detail of this tree and the bark structure and the layering on that tree. We're like, no, 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 hang on, mate. Step back, see the forest. You'll find your way out of this mess. If you can have a panoramic view, rise up like an eagle, look over the big picture and... uh, So I say all that to say understanding the big Bible story is really important and understanding cover is important to understanding the big Bible view because Mm -hmm. God is the same God in Genesis, same God in Revelation, same God all the way through, but there are different relationships that take place, different covenants that are applicable to different people over that time. And understanding that is really beneficial to getting a big picture view of the Bible and therefore understanding the detail that you just happen to be reading that day. So diving into the You Can Handle the Truth book a little bit more, you you mentioned it's a little bigger book and you have three broad steps that you have in the book. Can you kind of walk us through the arc of the book, and obviously you can't get into all of the 272 little details, but what is the big story of the book and the big arc that you take people through in You Can Handle the Truth? One of the reasons it's a more substantive book is because it really does deal with big issues. How are we supposed to handle the Bible? That's no small deal, man. This is all our debates, discussions, disagreements, and dialogue come around. We fought wars Uh, over that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More than one, actually. (laughs) Because all Christians say, we believe the Bible, okay? We even have the same book, man. You know, when I was was a a young person, I went on Christian camps with Christians from different persuasions, and uh, we realized we have 
very different views, but we've all got the same book. Okay, so this mm-hmm. subject is significant. The fancy word and, for and it is that's just staying within Christianity. Not to mention you have other religions that believe portions of or have overlap as well. So it's even more diverse if you go oh, on another level. Yeah, exactly. You can. I mean, in the book, I make very clear just from the outset. Listen, I'm talking here about the Protestant Bible, the 66 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> books. Let's just minimize that, limit the conversation to that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so to talk about those books, we come to wildly different conclusions, but it's all because of we just handle the Bible differently. So it is a massive subject. But one of my things that I always endeavor to do, and one of my, I guess, my strengths as a Bible teacher is to make the complex simplified and mm-hmm. to understand something in a simple way. You're right. The subtitle of the book, You Can Handle the Truth, is Making Sense of the Bible in three simple steps. Now, for the technical people listening, those three simple steps basically follow what's known as the inductive method of study. Any technical terms like that are in the back of the book because I'm trying to reach an audience that's not academic, that's not necessarily scholarly. I'm trying to reach everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christians who love their Bible, love God, and want to understand it better. So if that's you, you're the type of person I'm trying to reach. And so those technical terms are there, but they're in the back of the book. In the end notes, it's about 230 end notes. But the basic arc of the book is saying, listen, you need to understand the Bible well, you need to ask questions. And so I phrase or I shape the book around three key questions, and this is what they are. Number one, you need to ask, what does it say? If you're going to understand the Bible, you need to know what it says. I think that's a pretty basic way to start, Scott, okay? What does it actually say? What does the Bible say? Secondly, you've got to ask, what does that mean? Okay, I know what it says, but what does it mean? And then thirdly, we ask, what does it matter? Mm. What does it say? What does that mean? And who cares? What does it matter to you? What does it matter to me today? And That three-step process, those three questions, a good student always asks questions. It's one of the best ways to learn is a three-step process on how to handle the Bible well. What does it say? That deals with how we read the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible says, read it. Okay, it's pretty simple. You got to read the thing. So we talk in the first part of the book about how to read the Bible well, okay, how to be a good reader. The second part is what does that mean. A fancy term for that is exegesis. And mm-hmm. we talk about things like context. Oh, okay. Where does this fit in the big picture? Do I need to do a smaller picture study on the this word and how it might be used elsewhere? We can zoom out. We can zoom in. What do I need to understand about culture, ancient mm-hmm. Hebrew culture? Because the Bible was, it might say copyright 1985 in the front of your Bible, but it wasn't written in 1985. Okay. Sure. Your Bible was written 1400 or 2000 years ago or 1400 years before that, however we're meant to understand all that, it was written in an ancient culture. What do we need to understand about ancient cultures to get into the mind of the writer to know what he meant when he read a certain thing? And so we talk about some aspects of ancient Hebrew culture. We talk about the importance of genre, that not all of the Mm -hmm. Bible is supposed to be understood literally. And we know this from anything about Jesus. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, he was standing by a massive massive one of the wonders of the ancient world the jewish temple at the time in jerusalem and he said destroy this temple and i'll rebuild it in three days and people thought you're a humble carpenter's son what an idiot to think that you can rebuild this structure in three days it's taken decades to build this thing and of course then it says no no jesus was not talking literally then when he said temple he was talking about his body he was talking about 
resurrection. Okay? He was actually not talking. He was not meant to be understood literally when he said that. And they get, people get into a lot of trouble when they take Jesus' words or, or the Bible's words literally when it's actually meant to be taken literally. You're meant to understand the Bible in the context of the literature that is written. So something that's poetic or something that's exaggerated. Does the Bible exaggerate? Yeah, it does at times because prophetic people, poetic people, they exaggerate in song. They're emotional and they to get a, a point across, they can speak in ways that aren't supposed to be understood literally. So we look at that as well. A lot of controversy, a lot of different opinions stem from that. I just take the Bible literally. No, you don't. Okay. No, you don't <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise you'd be advocating for cannibalism and uh, eating. And- and smashing babies against rocks. That's in there. Okay. One of your favorite songs. Just <laughs> 19. Smash babies <laughs> against rocks. That's basically what it's talking about. And yet, but again, there's a reason that that's in there. If you just lift it out of context and say that that's what the Bible's telling me to do, that's not what the Bible's telling you to do there. But yeah. No. That's not a commonly sung psalm on Sundays. No, it's not. No, we know there's not many sermons preached on that particular passage. So <laughs> that's right. So it's one thing to answer the first question, what does it say? But the second question, what does it mean? I'd suggest that most disagreements come from this point. Okay, so what does that actually mean? And look, anyone listening today that's got a long-term relationship with someone, you know there's a difference between what someone says and what they mean. We've all had arguments that say, yes, honey, that's not what I meant. I know that's what I've said, but I didn't mean that. We've all had disagreements like that. And the same is true with the scripture. And I'd suggest that most of our work as workmen or work people with the Bible is in that second step. It's really mm-hmm. critical. That's where Bible teaching often comes in. And that's where in in my church tradition, I come from what many people would describe as a Pentecostal church tradition. It's really a weakness in many pulpits. Many preachers read a passage of scripture or half a verse, depending on what they're feeling for the day. What does it say? Here's what the Bible says. And they jump straight to step three, which is, this is what you should do about it. Hang on, mate. Hang on. What's the second step? What does what we've just read, what does it actually mean? There's a historical never changing timeless meaning of that text we need to understand that before we seek to apply how that might work in our life today and that's the third step it brings the like a triple jump athlete would not reach his goal or her goal if they did not commit themselves to that third step so it is with handling the scripture what does it say step one what does it mean step two well lastly what does it matter what am i supposed to do with that what are the implications of this truth to me today? And what am I supposed to do with it? Uh, Should I apply it? Is there any application for me when I'm reading a story about God commanding people to sacrifice doves and pigeons and bulls and goats? Okay, that's what the Bible says. It means that that's an act of worship. I get that. What does it matter to me today? Am I supposed to do that? What does it matter to me? And we look also in that last part of the book about how to know when to apply the scripture. Because while all scripture might be written for us, it's not all necessarily written to us. While all scripture is written for our information, all scripture is good for you. Even Obadiah and Nahum and books you've probably (laughs) never heard of, these books are good. They're good for your information, but they're not all necessarily for your application because Mm -hmm. you, in many ways, are very different oftentimes to the ancient audiences in the covenantal context in which the Bible is written. So that's why that second step, what does it mean, really then helps us to go, ah, how does that matter to me today? And that's where we seek the issue of applying biblical truth to our life. 
But when you think about that, and I would agree with you, I think in the what does it mean step is where I know when I'm preparing, because as a, I'm a lay servant and I train others how to be what is called lay servants in the Methodist tradition. And so one of the things I actually teach on is how to do a sermon, but I'm teaching laity how to do a sermon. And often they have not had a theological study. They've not been to seminary, <laughs> none of the background that a pastor would have. And it's interesting because we spend a lot of time on how can you do a preparation for a sermon and understand not just what the Bible says and not just why it matters or what somebody should do with it, but that second step that you're talking about, what does it mean? Because I agree with you. I think often we go from one to three and don't really think about the middle. And I think it, it often can lead us astray in developing a, a message for others as well. Yeah. Yours is now the second book that I've interviewed somebody that I'm adding to the list that I keep for lay servants of books that they can read to help themselves develop more. I didn't actually tell you that before the show, but there you go. <laughs> It'll make it that list. So when you think about the why does it, what does it matter? What does it mean? Kinds of questions. What, why do you think it's important for people to look at the Bible today? What does it mean for people today to actually study the Bible? Oh, that's a great question. Look, my first answer is that the Bible contains truth. The things in the Bible aren't true because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're true. The Bible is a true record of truths that have happened in history, but also there are mystical, eternal, heavenly truths recorded in the Bible. It's this whole dynamic of the Bible being both a history book. Okay, that's fine. It records some type of human history but it's also a divine book. Now, we look at this at the first part of, in the first part of my book, You Can Handle the Truth, is we need to understand what the Bible is. And that's part of understanding it. It's a mix of divinity and humanity together. It's a work of God and a work of man. And so we need to understand, yes, it's historical, but it's also divine. The Bible contains eternal truth, heavenly truth that we would otherwise not know had God not gone out of his way to reveal it to us, basically. And so What's your question? Why is the Bible relevant? The Bible's relevant because it contains truth. And quite frankly, truth is relevant every day of the week. Truth is always relevant. Truth is always important. It doesn't matter how confrontational, how different it might seem to us, how uncomfortable maybe it might make us at times. Truth is important because truth sets people free. And as Jesus said himself, when you know truth, the truth that you know will set you free. Truth gives us stability in life. And truth is always important. And uh, the Bible contains truth. And yes, it con contains truth about how to live a good life. I'm very mm -hmm. happy to admit that, that we can learn from historical information that's happened in the past. We can learn from God's wisdom and admit the fact that we don't know everything. And I'm still learning. Like I said before, I don't know everything. I might be wrong. And I'm going to learn from people who are smarter than me shouldn't take you long to realize God's a bit smarter than you. And so learn from his wisdom. If he's got something to say about an issue, I want to know that because I admit God is much wiser than me. And that will help me with life. But ultimately, the reason the Bible matters today is because the ultimate purpose of the Bible is to help us to know God. Mm -hmm. And yes, it might help us live a better life on this planet. It might help the planet itself. All truth is good for all people at all time. But ultimately, the truth that matters most is the truth of who God is, 
and what he has done through Jesus Christ. And that is why the Bible matters the most, because in it, God reveals himself. The Bible is the self-revelation of God in written form. And so God reveals himself in many ways. God makes himself known in many ways, but he has chosen in his wisdom to let make himself known, be known through a written record. And knowing God is what matters because it's only knowing God that we can be guaranteed a life beyond the life on this planet. It is in knowing God, Jesus said in John 17, that we have eternal life. And so ultimately, the Bible is always relevant across culture, across gender, across economics, across political persuasions, across temperament type, because it helps all people to know God. So before I ask you a few questions that I like to ask all of my guests, is there anything else you'd like to share about the book that that you think would be important for the listener? to? Look, one of the things you can handle the truth is not dealing with a new subject. It's a how to handle the Bible is a thing that academics and scholars and Bible teachers, Jewish and Christian, have been looking at for hundreds, thousands of years. Okay, how are we supposed to deal with the scriptures? But it is a very unique offering in this space. It takes timeless truth, and that's why I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you recommend it to people you train, Scott, because you notice, and you and I come from very different traditions, but you notice straight away, ah, this book is dealing with timeless truth, as mm-hmm. long-established rules and principles about how to handle the Bible well. But it is presented in a timely way. It is a fresh not a fresh take, but a fresh presentation. It is a fresh presentation and designed to reach people that aren't academics and aren't scholarly. Now, I've got a shelf full of books on this subject that I've studied mm-hmm. over the years as I've developed my own. And boy, oh boy, are some of them intimidating. They are huge, a massive hardcover books called an introduction to Bible, <laughs> biblical hermeneutics or an introduction to Bible interpretation. And they are so intimidating. It's a volume one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, I'm, I've flicked through. I'm never going to read that thing again. It is full of scholarly academic language. You can handle the truth. Making sense of the Bible in three simple steps is a fresh, a fresh approach to uh, these long established principles. And not only is it fresh, it's fun. And I'm 43. As I said, I've been in ministry. I've been a pastor for 20 years since I was 23. When I was writing this, I was primarily writing for people who were younger than me. I actually take on the persona of Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy. At the start, I said the title of the book comes from Paul's letter to Timothy. I take that on. I say, look, I've got 20 years experience here. I'm not an academic. Okay, I'm not a scholar. I've got hands-on experience with real people in a real church, dealing with real issues, preaching and teaching them a real Bible. Okay, And I'm taking on the persona of the Apostle Paul to a younger generation saying, listen, you too can handle the truth. You can do this. Yes, the Bible might seem complicated and confusing and and uh, even sometimes contradictory, but it, there is a way to understand it. You can make sense of it if you employ these three simple steps. And so, yeah, I'd love for people to know it is has a un- it's unique, it's fresh. While I primarily had a younger audience in mind, I had eighty year olds in my church who've been pastors themselves for years, who've known Jesus longer than I've been alive, who read my book, did my video course that I have that accompanies it, and they said, "I've learned things. I've learned things." This is great. So even 80-year-olds have learned from it because at the end of the day, everyone benefits from truth. And when truth is presented in a simple, easy-to-understand, approachable manner, then all the better. Again, like I said, I, I've i read it. You were nice enough to, to send me a copy, and I've read it. And it, your 
I, that's the other thing I would tell people is, at least in my opinion, I don't think you come at it with a particular agenda of a particular denomination or backing. It, you're not trying to put forward your interpretation. It feels much more like you're trying to help people walk through how to actually do the interpretation, as opposed to sometimes it, even a book about how to read the Bible can actually be about how to believe what I think you should believe by reading the Bible. <laughs> Yours doesn't come across that way. So it's, uh, it's, which is one of the reasons that I feel comfortable using it with people that are struggling in that way and trying to use it to develop a message and do it in a way that is uh, beneficial for people, not in a way that is uh, self-serving, for lack of a better word. Hey, I'm thrilled to hear you say that. And I say in the preface, right at the start, I say, listen, one of the things I hope you walk away from this book is I hope people walk away from my sermons on a Sunday is that there's certain things they hear that they go, that is super clear. I am really confident in understanding that now because you've made that super clear. Yet there's also times, and this is another way that people learn, I also not only want to present things that are really clear, but I want to stir people's curiosity. And so from time to time, as you saw in the book, there's certain examples mm -hmm. I'd use that are a bit ooh, that's an interesting idea. And it was just to get to literally stimulate people's curiosity. And I believe that's what a good teacher does. Again, to get people to think, to ask good questions. And uh, even experienced Bible, people who've known the Bible for years or studied the Bible for years will read the book and will leave at times going, that's really got me thinking about mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think part of the way, and we've dialogued about this already, uh, that we do have different ideas and, uh, and in understandings of the Bible. And in, in many ways, that's actually okay. Mm -hmm. And because the Bible is not super clear on every single issue. And uh, it is good to ask questions. It's good to throw around different ideas and uh, every now and again, nerd out a little bit on the Bible. I'm all for that. <laughs> As long as we, as I say towards the end, major on the majors, minor on the minors, understand that some things are super clear, other things are not so clear, and that's the way God's made it because that actually helps us to dialogue and to think things through and to stir curiosity. And yeah, I hope that people leave with a sense of confidence in the things that uh, are fundamental to believe, but also curiosity on some other things to go, wow, this has really stirred my thinking. So I think both of those are a win for a Bible teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is my favorite, one of my favorite questions. I always laugh because all of my questions are my favorite question. But anyway, that's all another story. Obviously, my brand is inspired stewardship. I run things through that lens of stewardship a lot when we're having a conversation. And yet, speaking of meaning, that's one of those words that I've discovered over the years. Different people hear and understand different things when they hear the word stewardship. So from your point of view, what does the word stewardship mean and what has its impact been on you? Great question and a great name for a podcast. It's one of the things that, that attracted me to you when, I, when I, we first found one another. Stewardship, if I could sum it up, is simply this. Stewardship is having something in your possession that is not your possession. Stewardship is having something in your possession that's not your possessions. You have something that belongs to somebody else. And uh, so Paul the Apostle, for example, and I would say this to the Corinthians, he's talking about sex again uh, in 1 Corinthians. And he which, says to which them, he does several times in Corinthians. <laughs> he, he does several yeah. times. Yeah. It's not just a preacher's ploy to get people's attention when they're fading through a long podcast. No, no, no. It's, 
He really does to them. But he says this. He says, listen, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. When he's talking to them about how they should handle their body, he wants them to understand, look, your body is not actually your body. If you're married, there's a, a sense in which your married partner, that your body is also theirs. Theirs is yours. Yours is theirs. There's this sense of uh, we're to steward our body in a way that honors our married pa marriage partner. So therefore, you don't run off and sleep with other people, okay, because that's their body you're taking into that relationship. And secondly, and fundamentally, your body belongs to God. If you're a Christian, you've committed your life to him. Your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body belongs to another. And so Paul's saying, listen, steward your body because ultimately it is God's body. Steward that gift that God has given you in a way that honors him. You talk in your podcast here about stewarding time and treasures and talents and your temple. There's another one. Your tongue. Steward mm -hmm. your words. This is a powerful thing. Make sure it's you've got this thing in your possession. Steward it in a way that understands not everything that I have belongs to me. The things that I've been given, I've been entrusted with for others. Okay. We can see this in the book of Romans really clearly. It's amazing. You know, the book of Romans is one of those books where Paul unpacks the gospel. Freedom, liberty, grace, God has forgiven you of all your sins. You're justified. It's a great book of the gospel. And yet right at the start, Paul says to the Romans, he says, I've never met you. I've never been to you, but I am in debt to you. Mm. I am your debtor. He said, I'm obligated to you. And it's this profound thing. Paul, how can you be in debt to people you've never met? And he says to them, I'm in debt to you because I want. I have the gospel that I need to preach to you. Paul understood that he was given a message. He was given the gospel of Jesus. And that message wasn't just for him. It was for others. His job was to take that message, to steward it, and to take it to other people whom God had said, this is for. So, Scott, if I was to give you 50 bucks and I was to say, listen, please pass this on to your next door neighbor, that $50 that I give you is not yours. It might be in your possession, but it's not your possession. By saying yes to me, to do me a favor, you are, you, I'm entrusting you with my money that I'm wanting you to give to your neighbor. That money doesn't belong to you, even though it's in your hand. It belongs to me, or you could say it belongs to that neighbor. Your job as a steward is you've got something in your possession that's not your possession. And so Paul says the same thing at the end of Romans. He says, you Christians in Rome, you owe it to the believers in Jerusalem, the Jewish people of that time. He said, you are in debt to them because they uh, have given you something. You have something in your possession that belongs to them. And so stewardship, yeah, basically is having something in your possession that's not your possession and to handle it well. There's that word again, You to, to handle the things that, God is entrusted to you, or if your listeners prefer, the things that life is entrusted to you. Yeah, and that's stewardship has the reputation of being a Christian buzzword, but the actual concept behind it is not exclusively Christian by any stretch of the imagination. Because like you said, even if you just believe that there's karma and the universal powers and this kind of still works the same way, you still have to take care of, of what, what the world has gifted you with or what God has gifted you with. So here's this is actually my favorite question, though I've been told by guests that this is the hardest question. If I invented this magic machine and I was able to pluck you from the chair where you sat this today and there in Australia and transport you into the future, 100 to 150, maybe even 200 years, 
But through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your entire life and see all of the ripples, all of the impacts, all of the touches that you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've left on the world? At the end of his life, Jesus, just before he died, he prayed a prayer. It's recorded in John 17. And he says, I, Father, I have finished the work you've given me. I have finished the work that you've given me. And it's a really weird thing for him to say before he dies because he's still got to die. He hasn't finished that. He hasn't risen from the dead. There's a, he hasn't sent the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of stuff Jesus hasn't yet done. And so I'm like, well, what do you mean, Jesus, when you say I finished, but even before you die, I finished the work you gave me. And he explains it in the next verse when he says, I have revealed you to those that you've given me. I have made you known. And to me, I think that has become my life's mission. I'd like to say that's the mission of every person is to know God and to make him known to others. As I say to my church often, to know him and to show him. But in that time machine, I'd like to look back and to have people, many people say, I know God because of Chad. I, in Chad's life, in looking at him, in hearing him, I came to know God or I came to know God better because of his life. And that's what I'd, that's what I'd like. So what's on the roadmap? What's coming next for you as you move forward through this journey? In many ways, that's a bit of a mystery to us, actually. Only just last month, September 22, after 20 years of leading the church that my wife and I planted, we were just 23 years of age, we actually handed on the leadership role of that church, the uh, being the lead pastor or the senior pastor, some of your people may be familiar with, and uh, have relocated to another part of Australia. And so we're in a position right now of not really knowing what our future involves. I often say, I'm very happy to be God's yes man. I'm very happy when it comes to God speaking and saying something of saying yes to him. Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament, where they said, yes, no matter what God says, no matter what the obstacles are coming up, even though there's uncertainties, we'll say yes to him because we know we can do it. In fact, at the start of this year, 2022, as a pastor, I opened the year with Acts 2022. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a joke that pastors do. Okay, it's a pick a verse that's got the reference to the year, and in Acts 2022, it's Paul the apostle speaking to a group of friends from Ephesus, the church that I mentioned before, and he says to them, "Listen, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem." but I don't quite know what's going to happen to me there. And in 2022, that's the way we started the year. I feel compelled. I know God is saying this to me, although I'm not quite sure of all the detail. And so to answer your question, what's in the future for us? I'm not quite sure, but I know that we will follow God no matter what he says. I'm absolutely certain that Bible teaching ministry is part of that. I've got other hobbies that I enjoy doing. I'm a father of four, married man. So obviously all those things are, are part of our future. But uh, exactly at this point in our life, exactly what's what's in store, we're not 100% sure. But uh, those who are interested can certainly find out about it as we do on social media and all the other platforms <laughs> that are possible, yeah. And speaking of that, you can follow Chad on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. You can look him up, look him up as Chad M. Mansbridge. That's spelled just like it sounds. Or find out more about him on his website at chadmansbridge.com. Or information about the latest book is available at You Can Handle the Truth Online. Of course, I'll have links to all of that over in the show notes as well. Chad, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? 
I really appreciate that, Scott. And you're right. Any details on me, chadmansbridge.com or those social media channels. There's not too many Mansbridges around, <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. And of course, the book, You Can Handle the Truth, Making Sense of the Bible in Three Simple Steps, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever your audience uh, gets their books. Audiobook, I actually narrated the book myself, which I think is ideal when you listen to an audiobook to actually hear the author speaking. So if you can handle my accent, uh, then uh, go over and get that as an audiobook. But uh, Americans really like movie. Australian accents, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. No worries. I even talk about Australian rules football in there. I find a way to bring in our, uh, our national sport. So uh, there you go. But uh, no, look, I'm very happy for people to track me down and I'm pretty easily traceable. Chad Mansbridge, you can handle the truth. And uh, it's been great to be on with you today. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.